This episode is brought to you by 511 Tactical, a company that I've used for over a decade since they supplied the uniforms for Anaheim Fire when I worked out in California. And they have partnered with the Behind the Shield podcast to offer you, the listener, 15% off not just a single purchase, but an ongoing discount every time you shop at 511tactical.com. And I will give you the discount code in a moment. I just want to go on a kind of product focus for a second. In episode 125 of Behind the Shield podcast, I spoke to podiatrist Dr. Mike Donato, um, and we discussed a concern that I've had, which is the footwear uh, for first responders. If you're a firefighter, obviously, if we're doing an extrication, if we're fighting fire, our bunker boots are definitely the best things. They offer a high level of protection. But the day-to-day calls, the EMS calls, all those kind of areas, they are absolutely overkill, some of the boots that we are being given. And I wanted to find a kind of happy medium between protection and comfort as a lot of these heavy, heavy boots are causing uh, overuse injuries, knee pain, ankle pain, back pain. And 5.11 Tactical has come up with a shoe called the Norris Sneaker. Now, this has the feel literally of, of a skate shoe. It's incredibly comfortable. It has puncture protection on the bottom. It has the toe protection on the front, but they've taken a lot of the weight away and made it far more comfortable. And I think many of us will admit that as an alternative to duty boots, we turn to sneakers, which are also very comfortable, but really don't offer any protection. So this is a great happy medium between the two. If you want to see this, as I said, it's called the Norris, N-O-R-R-I-S, sneaker. Go to 511 Tactical, and that discount code that I was talking about is SHIELD15, S-H-I-E-L-D-1-5. That will be applicable for all of your purchases. The only time that's not going to work is when they have an additional sale that's actually going to be higher. So if they're offering a 20% or 25% off, obviously that 15 is going to be invalid because you're going to get even more off. So for the Norris sneaker and all the other things that I'm going to showcase that I personally use, I'm not going to start talking about things that I don't use, but the products of theirs that I think they're amazing, um, go to 511 Tactical, put in Shield 15, and save 15% every single time. Welcome, guys, to episode 284 of Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name's James Gearing, and this week I am very excited to bring on Joe Yoon. Now, Joe is a massage therapist based in Orlando, so we were actually able to do the interview face-to-face, which was fantastic. But he's also at Joe Therapy Online, which is a huge social media presence delivering free content on stretching, on rolling, on on lifting techniques, uh, literally to everyone around the world. And Joe has just released his brand new book, Better Stretching, as well. So a great conversation. Like I said, we did it face-to-face. I got to see his studio. A really, really interesting conversation from a very different perspective. We've had several chiros and PTs on the show, but never a massage therapist. But before we get to that interview, so before we get to the interview, please just take a moment and go to whichever podcast app you listen to this on, subscribe to the show, leave feedback, and leave a rating. The more five-star ratings we get, the more visible we are for people looking for a podcast like this. And then take social media, email, word of mouth, and share these incredible men and women's stories and philosophies. So with that being said, I introduce to you, Joe Yoon. Enjoy. Right, so Joe, I want to say firstly, thank you for inviting me to your beautiful studio here. Oh, thank you for having me, and uh, thank you for making the drive, too. No problem. Uh, yeah. Now, where geographically are we right now? 
Uh, so we're in Orlando, Florida, in an area called Dr. Phillips. So about five minutes from Universal Studios, maybe 10, 15 minutes to uh, Disney World. Brilliant. All right. So then the first second main question I'd like to ask, where were you actually born? Yeah, so I was born in southern Maine, which a lot of people are surprised by. You know, I think people think I grew up in some big city, uh, but grew up in southern Maine, uh, very little diversity at the time, uh, first generation Korean American. Uh, so you can imagine Maine and then also Maine in the early 90s uh, growing up, uh, being a minority was uh, interesting, but you know, I had a great childhood and had uh, amazing friends growing up. Brilliant. Let's go back even further then. So I'm from England. I'm a first generation immigrant yeah. myself. What brought your parents over or, or the Korean side of your parents? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I think some of my other relatives made the move first and, you know, it's just more opportunity here. Um, you know, it's, I don't know why they picked Maine, but uh, they <laughs> did. Uh, but I'm kind of glad that they did. It's, you know, looking back at it, it's when you're growing up there, you kind of want to get out. I feel like that's almost worth with everything. But uh, now looking back at it, I love going back there. And, uh, you know, my father started a kind of an Asian grocery store. So it was really cool to start implementing some of the, you know, culture into Portland. Um, and then my mother was in the restaurant industry. Everything was a little bit more in the Asian uh, culture. She was doing more Japanese, Korean restaurants. Uh, yeah, and just to, uh, yeah, raise a family here. Brilliant. And what about brothers and sisters? How many do you have? Yeah, so I have one older sister, and this is interesting. We actually have the same birthday. Oh, really? But we're not, yeah, not twins. <laughs> two years older, but on the same birthday, uh, I was born. And I think uh, it was difficult growing up because we shared a lot of joint birthdays. And, um, you know, I was disappointed about those, but I think she had the right to be more disappointed because she was born first. <laughs> Yeah, that would be kind of weird. She's like the kids that are born on Christmas. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and uh, she's yeah, two years older, and right now she's a nurse over in in Boston. Ah, brilliant. Yeah. Okay, so obviously you're in great shape now. I'm sitting in your gorgeous studio, and you've got squat racks and your massage tables. When you were little, were you a big sportsman then? Yeah, growing up, uh, I love sports. You know, I started with, I think everyone starts with the peewee soccer uh, and then I graduated over to basketball. So basketball was huge for me. I was a big fan of Michael Jordan. Uh, and one of my cousins, he was really big in basketball. So I think I kind of picked it up from him. Uh, and same with like Kobe too, which is so, you know, tragic because when I was younger, you know, he was one of the people I would emulate, you know, in the driveway. It's like Michael, Kobe, and, you know, all these legends. Uh, so it was, it was a real shame, and I didn't realize how much of an impact he had on me, and then probably it seems like a lot of people uh, with what he did. Uh, yeah, so I played a lot of soccer, basketball, and then I started to get into golf, um, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, which got me more into the fitness side and the mobility side of things. Uh, so I did golf and lacrosse. I was a goalie in lacrosse in high school. So those were two, my two passions in, uh, uh, when I was a little bit older. Right. So as a Korean, you didn't do Taekwondo. Oh, actually, no, I did actually. Yeah, <laughs> I was, yeah. Be, uh, I was yeah. disappointed then. <laughs> <laughs> so I did. Um, I did it all the way up to, and it's funny because I didn't, uh, actually know too much about it. And then one of my friends, one of my white friends, <laughs> he was doing Taekwondo and he told me about it. And, uh, it's like, I got to do what my best friend at the time is doing. So ended up going into Taekwondo. 
uh, I started to, and this was about the time I wanted to hang out with friends more and I didn't want to be in class all the time. So I made it to the belt before black. Uh, and then I, <laughs> then I quit, which I probably should have held out for a few more months, but, um, you know, I wanted to hang out with all my buddies and stuff. So I did do that as well. I totally forgot about that. We have exactly the same story. I got to black tag in <laughs> ITF, which was the one, not with the Hogu, but the regular, yeah, yeah. you could punch in the face and I forget the amount now, but in pounds, it was way more than I had. Mm. And they were like, all right, you got to do this to take the test. And I'm like, I don't have that money. So <laughs> I guess I'll just stay a black tag. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and that was it. I was so. like, that's good enough. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, in my mind, I was like, I don't think I'm going to be any better after this test than I was before. So, yeah, I can never actually say officially I was a black belt. I know, it sounds a little weird saying uh, the belt before black. Yes, I was almost a black belt. So the guy that, you know, Uncle Rico, I was almost the best quarterback in the world. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) All right, then um, what about career? Did you have career aspirations at the school age? Uh, You know, I was probably... I didn't exactly know what I wanted to do, to be honest. Uh, going through high school, uh, it was not too difficult. Just going through classes, doing sports. Again, I like love the sports. And then, you know, growing up at that time, it's go to high school, go to college, try to pick the best major, then get a job after. Uh, I knew I wanted to do something with the health field. I just didn't know what. Uh, so when I went into college. I decided to do, I wanted to actually get into physical therapy, and I, I don't even think I had that good of a grasp of what it was at that time, uh, but that's what I actually went into my major as, um, or trying to uh, try to get there eventually, so I started with uh, health and science studies and just taking my general classes to try to bump up the GPA to get into physical therapy, um, which I didn't do. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I always knew I wanted to do something with health. Um, also, maybe a little bit of business, too, but uh, with all the athletics, it just interested me at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So what took you to the massage therapy route then? Yeah. So massage therapy, uh, when I graduated college, I ended up graduating with a, uh, a pretty general degree. Um, I actually got kicked out of my major and it was uh, it was called diagnostic imaging and it was more the x-rays. Uh, and then you would specialize in uh, either MRI or CT scans. Uh, but I ended up, <laughs> I ended up getting kicked out, uh, and I got my third C. If you got three C's in my major, uh, you got the boot. Um, so when I graduated college, uh, I had my bachelor's in health and science studies. Uh, wasn't exactly sure what I was going to do. Um, you know, I couldn't get a job. It was really tough to get a job with a general degree because I didn't really have a specialty. Which is crazy, isn't it? Because they tell it's us you have a degree, you're more employable. Wild. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I was like, you know, I go to college. You know what? I graduated. That's that's good. I have my bachelor's degree. And when I was applying for, you know, a simple job like lab position, something that was still in the health field, no word back. So, you know, I was just hanging out for about a year or so. And, uh, you know, I was really getting into working out at that time. You know, I was always into working out in high school and, you know, college. But most of those workouts were... You know, stuff you see in magazines, just trying to pump up, try to uh, try to get big and, you know, thinking girls would be more attracted to you if you're all jacked up. So, uh, you know, I did all of that stuff. But, you know, later on in college, you know, I took it a little bit more seriously. And you know, I started studying it a little bit, going on the forums. Uh, the forums were the big things back then, you know, because we didn't have social media uh, and Facebook, you know, was just growing. So there wasn't that many communities other than forums uh, to go to to talk about fitness. And I was 
you know, I was obsessed with it and, you know, looking up supplements, all the protein powders and all the different types of workouts. Uh, so I really got into the training side of things. Uh, so I decided to get my certification. And uh, after I got that certification, I went to Boston. I moved to Boston and uh, got a, my first job at a big box gym uh, just in Boston. Hmm. Yeah. Now, which uh, which organization did you get your cert through? Uh, so NASM. NASM. Uh, yeah. Okay. So I got the NASM certification and went through the textbook. Luckily, I had a little bit of a health background. I did take all those courses in college, so uh, it didn't make everything a little bit more uh, easy to understand. So it wasn't as foreign to me as it might be to someone who's brand new to training. Uh, and took that certification and gave me a great base, you know, for what I needed to do. Um, and those were one of the sort it was one of the certifications I think a lot of the gyms uh, required um, and it ended up working out got my first job at a gym uh, and that was very humbling because you see all these videos online and you're training on your own and you think you know how to train people uh, but you don't <laughs> and it's never ideal there's always little small things that pop up that you might go in with a plan of training someone a certain way and then they're like, oh, my knee hurts. <laughs> well, wait, wait a second. I didn't plan for that. So you had to really adjust on the fly. So I learned a lot um, working that, you know, that big box gym, you know, crappy pay job. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting. I mean, I, I trained a little bit when I was younger um, as far as, you know, training people. And then I went through the um, NSCA CSCS yeah. and, I, you know, that. It's, it's amazing seeing the diversity amongst these certs. Like some, you literally, I mean, you know next to nothing. And then you might be there day one with a client and they think, you know, they got you on this pedestal like, oh, he's a trainer. You know, he knows what he's talking about. And then it's kind of scary when you look at some of these certs where they can be viewed one of two ways. Okay, here's the bare minimum. Understand that you're on some sort of um, internship, basically. Find a really good trainer, shadow them, you know, learn how to, how to coach. Um, but then there's the other thing where it's like, all right, I got my piece of paper. I'm good to go, you know, and, and it's now as a 45 year old who's, you know, been in that world for quite a while, you realize, and it's not malicious, but how much damage you can also do if you are not well-educated training people, like you said, you know, there's an injury and you're actually exasperating it rather than getting it better. Yeah, there definitely has to be, um, you know, the certifications are great because it gives you a good base and makes you competent enough to know what you're doing uh, but you do need that coaching component in there as well and then also the human aspect of uh, being able to just build rapport with a client on top of that i think that's super undervalued in training is building a relationship um you know i think some trainers saying it's almost a therapy session <laughs> for the client mm -hmm. right absolutely like you the hairdressers yeah yeah it's like i'm their therapist uh when i'm training them but yeah so many different certifications out there a lot of them are good some are bad um and uh, but it's a, you know, you have to take that approach where you're just learning about the coaching as, you know, on top of it as well. Yeah. All right. So you were personal training in, in the, the large gym. How did that transition into massage therapy? Yeah. So I was doing the personal training for one year and uh, I, had a, I had to go to a wedding. It was my cousin was getting married actually down here in Florida, which is one of the reasons why I ended up in Florida. Uh, he was a golf instructor. And he was working for a golf academy. Uh, so he was like, hey, Joe, you know, 
Uh, yeah, when I saw you at the wedding, you told me you play golf and you used to be a decent golfer and you're a trainer. And I was like, yeah, yeah, you know, I have a pretty good understanding of uh, both, you know, uh, for that point in my career and or th- I thought I knew at that time of the career. Um, he was like, you know what, you should come down and we have a trainer therapist who works at this golf academy. Um, you know, let me talk to him, see if you can come down and shadow him. So maybe like a month later, I came down, stayed with him and got to shadow uh, the therapist trainer that was working at this golf academy. And the golf academy was a full time uh, place where these kids, uh, some local, some international, they would just come. It was almost like a boarding school for for golfers. And, you know, these kids would come to the trainer therapist and either run through a workout or if they're having issues with their swing or some limitations, he would work on them just real quickly and then have them go back out onto the course or the range and see if it felt better. Uh, And that's where it really sparked my interest. I was like, wow, this golfer could not get into a position that they had to be in to optimize and have their swing to be as efficient as possible. He went to go see my buddy, and then a couple minutes later, he can swing way better. And I was like, wow, this is unbelievable stuff. So when I went back to Boston, I looked up part-time programs for massage therapy and found a great one. Uh, So it was was a good schedule because I could train people at 5 a.m. in the morning, then go to massage therapy school in the afternoon. It was 10 to 2 p.m. And then I would go back to the gym to train. Uh, So it was very long days, but I was able to, you know, once I graduated that school, put my hands on people and do manual therapy. Now, what were your grades in that school? That was good. See, yeah. I talk about this a lot yeah. with education. <clears throat> when when you find a, a career that you're passionate about, I went from a straight C student at school to a straight A student yeah, in fire. Exactly. Same with me. Uh, I was always kind of the mediocre, you know, academic. But when... And I, and I saw this in college, too. Uh, in retrospect, I probably wasn't the best candidate to go to college. But during the time when I would do labs and do clinicals at hospitals, I did amazing. You know, I got my A's um, almost every single time. I was getting job offers from the clinic instructors. You know, once you graduate, Joe, let us know you're doing a great job. But whenever it came down to, you know, more of like the textbook, traditional studying, you know, I didn't do the greatest So when I went to massage therapy school, it was a little bit more hands-on. So it wasn't a lot of, you know, textbook stuff. And again, I had that uh, experience from, you know, college, getting all this general anatomy out of the way. So that was a lot easier for me when I decided to go to massage therapy school. And then it was a lot of practical, you know, application when I was there. And for me, that's where I thrived. So it was it felt like a piece of cake to me. I like, I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed it because I was learning something that I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how long did massage therapy take? <clears throat> so this is one of the problems that I have with uh, the U.S. massage uh, therapy, you know, education. It's, I took mine, it was 750 hours in Massachusetts. I think to be licensed, you only have to do 650 hours. Florida, it's 500 hours. And the high end is... Uh, 1,000 hours in New York. So thinking about 500, 650 hours, that's like nothing. I did a part-time program and I graduated, I believe in eight months. 
Yeah, and just four hours a day, Monday through Friday, and took about eight months or so. Where if you look at some of these other uh, professions that uh, can put their hands on people, like a physical therapist, a chiropractor, which they all end up getting a doctor in front of their name, um, you know, they're doing three to four years of higher level education to be able to do that. Obviously, they learn a lot more stuff, um, you know, you know, that applies to rehab and all that work. But um, yeah, it was very short. You know, it was very short, but they teach you the bare bones, right? Uh, same with training too, same with the certification. They teach you enough so you don't mess people up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, they let you go and, you know, go do your thing. Yeah. Okay, so then that's a, that's a great preface then. So what was it that made you take the bare bones, bare minimum, and then really, obviously, as we're going to talk about, really succeed and thrive in that arena? Yeah, I mean, I love the massage therapy industry. I love the fields. Um, but because of the, the bare bones and the, the lower hours, you know, for me at that time, I was just trying to find something that would help enhance my client's performance. So when I was training people uh, and they had some sort of limitation, you know, I needed to put my hands on them or I wanted to because I started, you know, I saw this, this experience down in Florida with this golf uh, trainer therapist. So I wanted to be able to do it in the quick, quickest way was to get this massage therapy uh, license where if I wanted to go back to school for PT or chiropractic, it's it's a process. You know, I would have to take more classes just to get my prerequisites up. Um, there is a big money component to it. It's a big investment and it's a lot of your time. So at that time, I was like, you know what, I'll just get my massage therapy license you know, I think that'll be good enough. Uh, learn some techniques, and I'll be good to go. Um, so that's the way I decided to pick. Uh, it was just more: how can I help my clients as fast as possible without being gone <laughs> for four years? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, my wife's just finished up all her prereqs for optometry school. Yeah, and she's been an optician for as long as we've been together seven years, um, and then was an optical tech before that. Uh, but again, seeing the barriers to entry, the the prereqs. Now, when she gets in school, she's obviously going to be doing very pertinent, you know, ocular anatomy and all these things that she needs to know. But I've talked about this in a few interviews, the the high-level math, high-level physics, high-level chemistry that they are not going to be using in any shape or form um, is such a barrier to entry. And it makes me wonder, like, how many great physicians, chiros, you know, PTs, are there not out there because they just couldn't, go over those hurdles either financially or even you know academically you know they're great hands-on people but just can't pass you know college algebra or, you know whatever it is 100 percent. and i have a good story for this because uh, you know a lot of people do think i did very well in school and you know i you know i barely skated by uh and when i was going through this career of being a massage therapist and trainer uh, fairly recently, just before I started my social media accounts, uh, I was trying to apply to physical therapy schools, these flexible uh, physical therapy programs where it was, again, another part-time gig where I could still work but get a higher-level education or degree. And it was hard as hell to try to even apply to these programs. So I didn't have the greatest GPA in college, which in these programs, you need to have amazing GPAs. It's very competitive. Uh, 
you know, field. And then I had to take the GREs, all these, again, these high level physics classes. Uh, and this was after I did uh, a lot of work in the real world with hands on doing a lot of fitness training, a ton of therapy on kids and adults and athletes. But it was a difficult, you know, it's difficult to get these classes. And then on top of it, the financial, you know, burden it's going to put on you because, I mean, I think the program I was looking at, was it's easily cleared 100K uh, to become, uh, to get that license or uh, to get the doctorate. And again, four or five years as a part-time program. Uh, it's a big, it's a big hurdle to get across to, you know, want to do that. And, you know, I decided not to just because uh, my whole goal was helping people. And, you know, did having a doctorate really change the end goal? Uh, probably not really. And then I also remembered back at school, like I didn't really do the greatest with textbook work. And I was like, damn, I'm going <laughs> to definitely have to do a lot of these studies, you know, long study nights where, you know, maybe it's not even the best choice for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's it is, you know, is, is it going to make me better? I actually mm -hmm. finished my bachelor's in UF and have all the prereqs for um, PT school and PA school. Okay, like yeah. It was like a health and science. I mean, the exercise physiology route track. Um, and I got there and I was a medic, paramedic, and mm -hmm. I kind of looked at it and it's like the next thing with a PA, you're under a physician. You're basically doing what they tell you. And you're you know, going to obviously be in a hospital setting of some sort. But it was another, I think it was three years you know, clinicals and and, and um, more classes. And I took a step back and like, I'm a paramedic, which took me, you know, EMT school and then medic school. So a year and a quarter. And I get to go out on the streets and stick needles in people's chests and throats, you know, <laughs> tubes down their throat and cut holes in their neck. And I was like, you know what? F efficiency wise, if you want to save lives, the, the medic route is so much more direct. And if you want to be in a hospital setting and, and you know, there's a reason for being a PA, of course, it's there if you want to be exactly. you know, like a physician in a clinic or a PA in a clinic. But as far as life-saving, the, the paramedic, which, you know, is looked down on by some medical professionals, they get to do more on the streets than, you know, than 99% of the medical community. So it was, it's interesting seeing these programs that are so efficient that are just fast-tracking. This is what you actually need to do for this profession versus, as you said, these prereqs that in some respects set these men and women up for failure because the moment they step out, they're already in debt, the price of a house. Yeah, it's their, you know, they're in debt. And I know, I know so many PTs and uh, Kairos that, I mean, they are swimming in debt and that's the only thing they can really think about right now. Um, and again, like I never say anything bad about them. They have amazing jobs. They do amazing things. Um, but yeah, they get kind of screwed <laughs> with, with, with the education of the cost of it. Uh, and it was interesting you saying, you know, EMTs, paramedics, they might be looked down on, um, you know, by some other professionals. And that's exactly the same thing with massage therapists. So I ended up doing the school and then start to realize that <clears throat> physical therapists and chiropractors, not all of them, but a lot of them, they kind of look down at you. They're like, oh, you're kind of like the bottom of the barrel uh, career for, you know, hands-on work. Um, and I think that's also one of the reasons why I was pushing so hard to try to get this higher education and looking at these part-time uh, physical therapy programs because I was so, you know, I, I was so interested in getting that doctor 
in front of the name. It sounds great. It sounds, you know, it sounds very respectable. And, you know, growing up, it's like, you know, Asian family. It's like be a doctor, lawyer, engineer. Uh, so I think it was kind of kind of burned into my brain where, man, you know, if I if I got this degree, you know, I made it, you know. Um, but then I started to realize if you, you know, what's your end goal? And it was to help people. So does it really matter if you have a doctor in front of your name? Uh, for me, it wasn't as important. Yeah. You know, later on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was funny. My, my wife's burning desire is optometry school. So she she wants to do the work that those you yeah, know, that yeah. profession does. But there is an element. She's a four foot nine, half Filipino <laughs> woman um, who looks 15 years younger. She still gets ID at the damn store. She's about to turn 40. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got those I'm, genetics. I'm, always, I'm like, you don't want to see mine? Of course you don't. Because my face looks like jerky. <laughs> But um, but again, it's, so it, it is that kind of that respect side as well, you know. But um, like I said, it's I empathize for her. I think that the medical community, you know, overall do amazing things. There shouldn't there shouldn't be like levels. Like exactly. But um, as our entire profession, you know, if there are elements of the education process that are doing nothing but prolonging the time before you can actually start doing that career. Um, and causing a lot of debt, then I think that's something that we need to kind of rethink as an, a nation with our education. Oh, system. for sure, yeah, <laughs> for definitely, yeah, definitely. Another funny thing with her being Asian, she used to, she I guess she wasn't a great student when she was younger, um, and then when she got into this, you know, like I said, this high level classes, she's getting A's and B's. Yeah, and I told her, I'm like, see. You can't kick against that Asian stereotype. You are smart. <laughs> you, you got it. <laughs> yeah, I bought her a violin. She hasn't picked it up yet, but we're going to work on that next. <laughs> She's got to get on that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, then, um, for everyone listening, because we talked about PT, we talked about Cairo, mm-hmm. we talked about um, massage therapy, give a definition of your scope of practice and how that differs from, for example, physical therapy. Yeah, one of the big differentiators is um, not being able to diagnose the issues with the patients or the clients that come in. Uh, so I'm very, you know, I'm very cautious of what I say when I have a client come in. First of all, I always tell them, you know, I, you know, I'm a massage therapist. Uh, a lot of people mistaken me as a physical therapist, which I'm flattered by, but I want to make sure that they know what, you know, what I can do for them. Uh, so one of the big differentiators is diagnosing. Um, and these professions now, they kind of, everything is mixed in now. It's not just Kairos adjust. It's not just physical therapists, uh, you know, just work with people right off of surgery. Everything is entwined together now. They have the CSCS with, you know, all of their uh, certifications and their license. Uh, so when whenever a client comes in, you know, I make sure to tell them, you know, what problem are you having? You know, I listen to them. And then, you know, I tell them, okay, I'm a massage therapist, so I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do a little bit of soft tissue work, and that should make you feel a little bit better. And then let's get you up and moving, uh, which is, you know, I think what's great about my uh, my career path. And then I I think this is also why people get confused is because I marry the two, the soft tissue work and the training. Uh, So, you know, I'll try to get them feeling better, but then I'll also try to get them moving better. And, you know, that's, again, like the big differentiator. I just try to stay a little bit more. I try to stay a little bit of a level down from all of the PT and the chiropractic. Uh, I just make sure that they know um, I'm not diagnosing them with an issue, but I can help you. Yeah. 
Now, yeah. so just to to kind of do a parallel, as a paramedic, obviously, I'm not going to say to someone, here's your issue. However, as a paramedic, we know damn well what the issue is. <laughs> exactly. You know? So um, do you find that's kind of a strange paradox where really when you're getting hands on these these people and, and working their joints through range of motion or lack thereof um that ultimately you are able to diagnose you just can't officially diagnose but in your mind you 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 know exactly what's going on you know i think i know enough to help someone but you know i never want to devalue you know my colleagues who are physical therapists and chiropractic you know and chiropractors because of the education that they go through they go through a lot of textbook work. They know so much more than you see, which I don't think a lot of people see when they, you know, see people on social media, these physical therapists and chiropractors, um, you know, you, they see a movement, but they don't know the science behind it where these PTs and chiros know way more than I do. I can piece it together, but not to the, you know, the depth that they do. So, you know, I don't find it really that frustrating, but, uh, you know, again, as long as I can help the person and piece it together, then it's totally fine. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, and it's not even the frustrating element. It's like the you said about doing the the um, X ray, you know, the mm, X ray yeah. text. They always say, "Well, I'm not allowed to tell you what I see." Exactly. You're, yeah, but you're the expert. You look at these. It's like obviously so, I can see what's going on. Yeah, that big crack in your bone is probably a break. Yeah. But yeah, it's just it's so interesting because I mean, you're right. There's there is a scope of practice you can't you know overreach, but there is. Um, that that understanding as well as as professionals in the same field. If you're a, a well-read, passionate massage therapist, is going to be an overlap into you know the next tier. I guess is is the best way of describing it. Exactly, and you know again that is a, a very tough thing. But I always make sure that the PTs and chiros know that you know I'm not trying to replace your job. Exactly, um, and I think that gives you know they respect me a lot more. Uh, so when I have, when I look at my social media and I see all these DPTs and DCs following me, I know that I'm doing something right because a lot of the times they, you know, they won't follow you because they think they're, you know, that you're overstepping your boundaries where I try to make a fine line or at least make it a, you know, pretty clear that I'm not trying to do what you do. I'm just trying to stay in my lane. We're all trying to help people and. Um, you know, that's that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that's a great transition. So let's talk about that. The reason why I reached out to you, I mean, obviously we're, you know, less than, well, just over an hour away from each other as well. But um, the core of this project is people that are out there doing something good, mm -hmm. you know, and what I was amazed by your social media is obviously the the following that you grew, but it's all free content. It's not Joe doing selfies around the world or, you know, showing off your butt crack or, you know, yeah, no, I don't think people want to see that. <laughs> but, you know, there's, there's again, element of that free content. And that's what I see with, we're talking about Dr. Eric Goodman with mm -hmm. foundation training um, before we start recording. Um, so tell me about the absolute genesis of your social media side and how you were able to grow to, what is it, 1.3 million? Yeah, 1.3. So, please. <laughs> yeah. When I started uh, my social media, you know, it was two things. It was, again, like always helping people, but I was also, uh, I didn't have a job. <laughs> so I became, I was an entrepreneur. I decided to become an entrepreneur uh, back in the golf space, but it didn't really work out. 
Uh, so I decided to concentrate a little bit more on the massage therapy side of things. And I really enjoyed it. Uh, and I need to do a little bit of marketing for it. So I decided to, you know, work out at the gym and, you know, back at my old gym when I was more into fitness and doing more bodybuilding style workouts. And I would start to pick up clientele there. Uh, and then I would use social media to, you know, kind of promote my business and try to get some exposure to it. But then I, you know, quickly realized that not everyone that follows me is from Orlando or in Florida. So I would get a lot of these messages saying, you know, I love your stuff. I wish I was close to you, but I live in California. Do you know anyone out here? And, you know, I don't know anyone in California. And I start to realize, you know what, maybe I can put up some, you know, self-help stuff, some self-massage techniques that I would give to clients uh, to go home with. And I start to post that. And then that's when everything started to, you know, blow up. You know, I was getting a lot of these new followers coming in because they really enjoyed uh, these tips to make them feel better. Uh, and then I started to transition over into the stretching side of things because I started with the self-massage technique stuff because I was a massage therapist and I had a massage th therapy business. I thought it would be the perfect complement to each other. Uh, but then I ran out of muscles to, wor <laughs> to work on. And I'm like, man, I'm like, I only got 40 videos now. Like, what am I going to do? And I was like, you know what? Stretching is, and you know, stretching and mobility exercises, uh, they're complementary. Uh, so I started to do more stretching and mobility exercises. A lot of what I used to learn in the golf industry and training people one-on-one, -on -one, uh, and you can do so many stretches. There's so many and so many different variations that I started to do that. And I would post every single day, twice a day. There was a time where I posted three times a day all original content. At, uh, I think there was a hurricane here, here, so I had nothing to do. So I was like, <laughs> you know what, I'll just create more videos. Um, but yeah, I just put it out there. And it was amazing, the response, because these are pretty simple things probably to you and I being you know, athletic and in the industry. But for a lot of people, they it was brand new and I would just show them a simple hamstring stretch or a simple T-spine mobility exercise and it would blow their minds. <laughs> it would blow their minds saying, wow, I feel so much better. Now I can go work out and do this or I can, you know, spend, you know, another five hours doing computer work without any issues in my shoulders. And I'm just showing them one thing, just one thing. And that was um, that was the best thing that ever could have happened. And, you know, I just decided to just keep doing it. And it was just so gratifying to to hear these people say good things about it and how much it was benefiting, you know, benefiting them. Yeah. You know, and you hit on a very important point. And I find, I find this in, in what I do as well is you forget that you're in an echo chamber and everyone you're around is probably PT, Cairo. Exactly. You know, yeah, yeah. And, and then you forget that, like you said, there's, there's lots of people who don't, don't even know what to do with a lacrosse ball apart from throw it into a lacrosse net. And that was one of the reasons why I do this little tennis ball thing. Uh, originally, it was just to make sure that the audience knew you needed some sort of ball. And that might be you know, pretty obvious, but some people ask like, hey, do I actually need that? And I'm like, what do you mean? You need some sort of ball to lay on. Um, so it was just like, you need this, put it here, and then let's do the move. Um, and another interesting thing was I wanted to keep everything as simple as possible. Uh, you know, I believe in the health and fitness field, 
uh, sometimes people want to make things more complicated than they actually are. Um, and I wanted to keep it as simple as possible, again, because, you know, we live in this bubble. We just hang out with firefighters or we just hang out with PTs and chiros. And we know the basics. We know what we're talking about. But someone who's, you know, working in the office that's never worked out before or even knows what stretching is, you know, they need to understand this type of uh, material as well. And that was that was huge for me. I talked to so I went to London uh, for an event and I sat down with someone I met online and he was a trainer over there and he's like, Joe, you do amazing stuff. Yeah, I'm like, I don't know how I got so popular. And he said, you got so popular because you made your information so easy to digest, so easy that a six year old could look at your video and know what they're doing. And that was like a little bit of a light bulb moment. And I did on, you know, unintentionally, but he said, you know, this is why. And then he named some, uh, some like theory or something principle about it. <laughs> I was like, Oh, really? That's actually a thing. He's like, yeah, it's try to make your content, you know, be understandable to someone, you know, as young as a six year old. Mm -hmm. Interesting. You say that when, um, when I made the, the website, I'm assuming you went to to see the, yeah, yeah, the guest list. Of course. That was Squarespace. And, um, that was what, three and a half years ago, I think. And, that's what I, look, I have as well. You have <laughs> so, as yeah, well? Yeah, that's what I, I use. So you may have even seen the same video. So I found a video and it was a guy explaining to his, I think you see the eight or 10 year old son how to make a Squarespace. Mm. And I'm like, this is perfect. He's found my IQ. We're right <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Gonna it's be perfect. Like, like sixth grade ish, you know? So, but, it, but I mean, it was, it was no fluff. It was like, here's what we need to do. You put this here. Here's why. Um, and the same with that. And I'm sure the, you know, the, the 60 second window of Instagram makes, people kind of have to lean out their content too but i mean i love the way you do it. you start holding the tennis ball if joe throws a tennis ball away we don't we need we don't excuse me we know we don't need the tennis oh, see, ball see you know that yeah. i mean see? so you've been following for a while yeah. but uh <laughs> well that was another thing is i i thought i was so genius because uh, again i started just by doing these self massage techniques with the ball uh, and then i had this genius idea that hey if i throw it away They'll be like, oh, he's not doing a muscle, you know, cell massage technique. He's doing a stretch. But then I forgot that people follow me at random times at different times and I get new followers. So they had no clue what I was doing. Okay. So it's, 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 I'm glad you know about that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, that was, it was great. But I mean, again, it was just that 60 second, you know, window that you fill either completely or partially. But yeah, I mean, uh, there was one I was looking at, one of your recent ones, and you're just in the corner of the room and you got your arms up and you're just stretching out the chest and the shoulders. Yeah. I meant that you don't need 10 minutes to describe that, that stretch. So it was perfect. It's basic. And again, yeah, I wanted to make it, you know, effortless to figure out what it was. And then I would put the picture of the body part on the left, what it is, the name of the body part on the left. And yeah, just made it foolproof. Absolutely foolproof. So there was no questions about it. Brilliant. Now, a slight tangent. Um, you know, we talked about release and you know fascia release and some of the other you know, techniques that you guys use. Um, I want to get to the the average Joe in a moment, but what about kind of medically? Did you have any kind of disease processes that you've realized that massage therapy works very well for? So, you know, with the amount of knowledge that's coming out now, all this research, you know, my mindset has changed a lot. You know, I think there was a lot of claims back in the day because, you know, there wasn't that much research. You could probably just say something worked, make a certification, market the hell out of it. And that becomes the belief where now, you know, I hang out with, again, these 
uh, people who are just way smarter than I am. And they're reading these research articles because, you know, they love it. And, you know, I've learned, you know, from osmosis, just from hanging out with these people, again, a little bit more medical, that, you know, some of the things might not be true. Uh, one of the big ones is, you know, like breaking down the adhesions in the muscles where, you know, the research now is saying it's probably not the case, <laughs> that it's more of a, you know, a neurological thing. It's more of a brain game. Uh, you might press on a muscle and then your brain is like, okay, you can chill this muscle out and it'll be a little bit less tense and then you'll have more range of motion. Uh, so from that perspective, the way I do my sessions have changed a little bit. And then also there's just this, it feels good factor that a lot of my professional athletes, well, almost everyone enjoys that. Obviously, I don't know anyone who doesn't like a good massage, uh, but there's this relaxation factor that just makes you feel better. So maybe it gives you a little bit more motivation to work out the next day or, you know, decompress a little bit later. Brilliant. So then uh, on the other side of the scale, so that's you know, the, the anatomical side. Um, there's been a few people on the, on the show who have really kind of discussed the relationship between mental trauma and holding that in the body. What have you seen from that element? Yeah, yeah. So uh, that's big in massage therapy. And they talk about the you know, emotional side too. You, you can definitely hold you know, tension. And you know, I've actually worked on someone where you would just put like a finger or like a fingertip on them. And they're like, ow, ow. And I'm like, what? wait a second, I'm here to do a massage therapy session. I can't even put a, a lay a finger on you, even just a little bit of pressure. And, you know, that's a lot of, it could be emotional. It could be like the stress, you know, and they probably need to do a little bit more of the breathing side of things. And, um, you know, I haven't looked, you know, to be honest, I haven't looked as much into that side of the massage therapy field. You know, I'm a little bit more on the, the movement uh, side, but you can definitely not overlook that type of factors, the, how much mental you know, plays a role in this type of work yeah. because they might just not be able to relax at all on the table. And you, then your work is going to be uh, probably not valuable to them, you know, during the session. Yeah. Now, have you had any, any people have a, um, an emotional release after a session? So no, no, not me personally. So I think I, I did this purposely where I marketed towards a certain demographic, which is why I haven't really dealt with too many of these types of, uh, clients. Um, so when I was starting, I was definitely targeting a little bit more of the, the fitness competitor to start. And then it transitioned to a little bit more of the higher level athlete. But uh, most of my people who come to see me are, you know, the fitness goer. And the style of therapy that I do, it's, I wouldn't say it's faster pace, but it's not, uh, you know, I'm here with like the radio on, you know, top music, you know, popular music, uh, no sheets. It's just kind of like you jump on the table. So I think the atmosphere isn't really conducive for an emotional <laughs> yeah, release. Go into that place. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But I remember in massage therapy school, one of the students had, uh, it was, it was wild to see it because I never thought it could happen. But one of the instructors was working on them and they just started bawling and they start crying. I'm like, what is going on? Like, it was so foreign to me seeing this. I always thought of massage therapy as either, you know, again, like you go relax at the spa or, you know, you're doing this type of movement based, you know, therapy where, you know, you, you know, you press on them, they move and then they feel better and then they can go do whatever sport they, they want to do. Um, 
so it's definitely a little bit foreign to me seeing that, but I've never had someone in here have an emotional release. You're probably going to get one tomorrow and I've had this discussion. I know, exactly. That's how it works. It's like you talk about it, it's like, wait a second. And the next day, boom, it happens. Well, you mentioned the high-level athletes. Um, we don't need to name names or anything, but I know you work with some some top yeah. people. Um, before we started recording, we talked about the recovery element in in that field. And this is something that I try and bring education to our people. You know, we're asked to go from deep sleep to high-level exercises, Um and there's not really an understanding um, of the the recovery element to that to be able to get these men and women to thrive when they are needed. So what do you see with your athletes as far as the importance of that recovery side as well as their, their training? Yeah, one of the big difference I see with my high-level athletes, and I've been fortunate enough to travel with you know, many of them as well. So I get to see them not just in, you know, in here. I can see what they're literally doing all day and what their schedule looks like. Uh, and the biggest difference is that they just prioritize uh, their recovery and their training. And obviously they have to do that because that's what their career is. You know, they concentrate on the diet, getting the sleep, not doing too much outside of, you know, what they're training for. Um, you know, they have it down to a science and it's very repetitive too. at least the ones I hang out with. It's you know, for one example, go train at 9 a.m. You're done by noon. Now go just relax, hang out with your family, make sure you're getting your meals in, your recovery, your foam rolling, your Normatex, whatever. <laughs> it's just whatever you can do to feel better and then get to it the next day. Uh, that's one of the big differences where I see when I have a client come in and they have maybe they're overworked or they have an overuse injury, um, they're doing so much more. You know, they're doing... You know, there's reality. Uh, you have to go and be in the fire station. You might get on a call. So you have this stress that's put on you that you didn't plan for. Uh, so I think a lot of the people and a lot of the clients, they ha they need to make sure that they're prioritizing their, also their training, but also their recovery. And even if something pops up and you do a little bit more one day, you can kind of rebound from that. Yeah, it's... Uh, just got to prioritize people put too much pressure and stress on their bodies on a day-to-day -day basis and they don't give themselves enough time to recover hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Now you've had, you mentioned you had some first responders in here. Did you see any kind of common injuries? Tired. Imbalances? <laughs> <laughs> Tired. <laughs> yeah. That's that too. Uh, but nothing, it was more general just because you guys have very demanding, you know, careers. It's, uh, first of all, it's a lot of, um, I think it's a lot of waiting around too on top of, uh, you know, on top of the, you know, manual work you have to do, the intensity. Um, so you're going from not doing too much to right into it. Uh, so again, it's a lot of the basic just aches and pains, the back, um, you know, nothing crazy. It was just, more intense. <laughs> it was yeah. just the injuries were just, or the discomforts were just more intense because you guys don't recover as well. Just because of the, I think you were, we were talking about the sleep deprivation. Uh, these guys were coming back from these long shifts, and you know you could probably tell me a little bit more about it. But it definitely wasn't a eight-hour shift. <laughs> it was overnight, and these guys were coming off a shift at like nine a.m. You know, to my office. Um, 
So they were just tired and just needed a little bit of work on their bodies just to feel better, probably just to get through the next day so they can you know, have another good shift. Yeah. Now, well, speaking of that, is there an ideal time for uh, um, a wind down massage therapy? Obviously, if you've got some sort of issue that you're working on a joint, you're trying to get released, then you know, it's going to be prior to whatever you're doing. But uh, like a, um, uh, a deregulation type yeah. massage when when's a good time of day to have that see for me i always just say if you want it uh, just try to fit it in i think it's already hard enough to for most people to uh fit something like that in for my athletes they love to do it after training right. uh, that's the most common thing i've seen they rarely do it before uh, working out and if they do get some sort of therapy session it's not as uh, long it's more uh kind of like kind of gets them going gets their nervous system going uh, before they they train but most of my athletes it's they work out they'll take a couple hours off they'll come see me so that's usually for you know just from the experience the best time to kind of get that type of work because then they can just chill out for the rest of the day you know they're not excited and you know they're very relaxed coming out of here so you know puts them in a little bit better state and they can chill out for the rest of the day and recover yeah <laughs> yeah brilliant now another thing you made me think of when you said rolling i know when when rolling first came out everyone was rolling everything all the time yeah, in, yeah. in the crossfit space especially <laughs> um and then there was that whole kind of uh, subtext of oh you shouldn't roll at the beginning of your workout it should be after so i mean seeing as, as the tennis ball and, and that kind of um release is a big part of what you do if someone is going to be in an hour workout session, when do you recommend they roll before or after? Again, I'm pretty indifferent. I like to, if you want to do it at the beginning, that's cool. If you want to do it at the end, it's cool. Um, mostly I like to do it at the beginning. And this is the reason why is it's going to make you feel better. And it's also going to increase your range of motion and, you know, a lot of the studies now, it's it's a temporary uh, increase in range of motion, but it does increase your range of motion. So maybe you roll out a little bit, maybe you're a little sore or a little tight in a certain area. You roll that area out and then you get into your typical warm up. Then you go through your dynamic stretches. Then you get into your warm up sets. So for me, that has a little bit more benefit than maybe rolling out at the end where it's just it's more to relax you. Uh, but I love doing it before just on those tighter spots that I know I'm going to need uh, in the workout. So if I'm doing deadlifts, you know what? I'll probably do my calves and hamstring, glutes super quick and then get into my warm-up. Brilliant, brilliant. All right, so another thing that's kind of the pendulum seems to have swung. I know when, um, you know, my most of my upbringing in the medical side, you know, if you if there's an injury, then it's, it's rice, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then um, <clears throat> now, uh, no, I think when I was at UF, one of my PT classes, they were saying the opposite. Like, don't use ice anymore. It, it causes vasoconstriction. You need to have all you know, that blood flow to start healing it. From a mess- massage therapy point of view, what's your philosophy on ice? <laughs> Again, there's so much conflicting information out there. It's like no wonder people are coming to YouTube and Instagram and Google <laughs> trying to figure out what's the best way. Uh, and I'll give you, you know, a couple mindsets, a couple different perspectives on this. Uh, you know, I'm sure you've heard again, like the ice, it's, you know, slowing down the recovery process. It's, you know, you want that inflammation. So it's a, rec- you know, it's, 
you know, it's part of the recovery process. You actually want it. Um, and when you have ice, it's slowing it down. Uh, and I've seen some of the highest level athletes swear by ice, swear by these cryo chambers. Um, and can all of them be wrong? You know, and I think this also comes back down to, does it make you feel better? Um, because I do think there's, you know, psychological, you know, component to all of this stuff on top of, yeah, it just makes you feel better. So when you do an ice bath after a tough workout, you know, I like to use ice more as a pain reliever, um, you know, especially if you're injured. Uh, but again, I'm, I try not to take these stances too much. I don't like to be on these extremes. Like it's no ice ever. It's never working. Just, you know, there's this study and it says it's bad for you and you can never do it again. Um, I like to say, again, if you know what it's doing and it feels good for you, and it helps you work out the next day if you're a professional athlete. Then again, I say go for it. Um, and I think, yeah, I think that's <laughs> that's the best decision because, again, I hate getting stuck in these extremes because one study comes out and then everything is thrown out the window and it's almost like you're a bad person if you ever do it again. Same with the foam rolling because I know so many people say you should never foam roll. You should never stretch. You should just do strength training. That's that's all you need. But but I do see the benefit of a little bit of the foam rolling, the stretching, even if it's a little bit. And I'm still going to do the strength training, but why can't I have a little bit of everything? Yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's that common sense element, too, that, you know, like you said, the middle ground we were talking earlier you know, yeah. about, about the extremes, whether it's politics or whatever it is. In the middle, people are kind of looking around going, um, why are they <laughs> arguing? Everything seems exactly. common sense here. But um, I remember when, when the kind of icy hot used to be really popular yeah and again in, in school they were saying that that's just distraction it's just taking your mind off the pain senses of what you've heard and the t- you know focus on the tingling on your skin it's not physiologically doing anything and uh, i'm sure there's an element of that with with the ice now if you're not in pain and that swelling is not causing compression to the point where it's agony you know i think that the middle ground is that we'll just leave it and don't do anything with it because the body knows what it's doing it's done it for you know thousands and thousands of years but yeah if you're like you said if you have to be somewhere you have to perform that might be you know ice and ibuprofen might be what it takes to to get to where you need to be exactly and you know there's a lot of these uh you know newer kids coming up and they only go by what they see in these studies and they only go by uh you know all the evidence and again there's it's evidence based, so it's it's very good. You know, there's they're doing research and it gives them a good baseline. But then there's also reality. You know, if I was working on one of my high level athletes and they had to feel better the next day, this guy is worth millions of dollars. His career relies on him doing something tomorrow. You're gonna put ice on him. You're going to maybe give him some ibuprofen. You never know. Is it ideal? No. Of course not. But, you know, there's a different is risk reward, right? It's if you don't do it, first of all, will, will they mentally feel um, confident? Will they physically feel confident? Because if they don't, it could cost them their job. You know, it's it's very interesting working in and seeing both sides of things because um, people are so one sided. But I'm sure if you're in that position and you're. You know, you had to go perform the next day. You would do anything 
to really make you feel better from, you know, like a recovery standpoint. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And there's that, that happy medium, isn't there, where, you know, I, I tweak something on a call earlier in the day and it's not like an injury injury per se, then I'm probably going to do whatever it takes to get through to that end of that 24 hours versus if I, you know, talk my ankle where it's hanging off, it's, yeah, that's, yeah, you know, it's exactly. probably time to tap out, <laughs> go, go see a medical professional. Yeah. And, you know, obviously you have to be mindful of the situation. So it's, I think it's a, a very situational thing where uh, a thing like ice can be beneficial or maybe not as beneficial. Yeah. Yeah. It was one of the best phrases I've ever heard. It was one of my guests. I forget who it was now. And they said, don't wait for science to prove what you already know. I thought that was great. Yeah. Because yes, science is great. In, in first responders, uh, firefighters specifically, there's so little research. There's not even research really on sleep deprivation in hours. And, you know, but then you look at the military and the sports world and all these parallel, completely parallel professions. And they're just like, yeah, of course, it's screwing you up. It's common sense. And there's all these studies. And again, so it's getting our profession. That, oh, I need to see data. Like, well, open your eyes for a start and then <laughs> exactly. look at professions that are almost identical and use your bloody imagination. Yeah, it's interesting because I'll get a lot of manual workers here just because, uh, you know, they put a lot of abuse on their bodies. And again, there's the ideal situation, then there's reality. And I had someone in here, uh, he's, you know, lays tiling on the floor. So he's bent over all day, every day, and his back hurts. <laughs> Go figure, right? Mm -hmm. And... Uh, you know, I think a lot of people are like, oh, well, he shouldn't wear a brace. You know, he should really not have one on and then train to have a stronger back. And of course, that would be ideal. And for someone who has, you know, similar issues that didn't do that full time, I'd be like, yeah, maybe not a brace would be great. But in that case, having a little bit of support during the day might be way better for him than saying no brace when you're off take some days off and deadlift <laughs> yeah 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 and then the other thing taking a step even further back understanding that kneeling laying tile for decades is not good for the human body like yeah. you need that right maybe it's time to level up and, and start being a foreman instead of the guy actually doing the yeah. tile. you know because there's certain things that we do i mean I got a lot of um, elite coaches on here, you know, and they talk about like the baseball pitcher, for example. Mm -hmm. There's a reason why 18-year-olds' arms are hanging off because you're not supposed to snap a baseball thousands no, That's true. Of that's time, a good point. Yeah, you know? yeah, that's so a good point. You got to listen to your body too. All right, well, then let's talk about the book. So it is Better Stretching Nine Minutes a Day. Yes. Uh, it's coming out on March 3rd, is that March right? March 3rd, yes. So tell me why you wrote it and then why people should buy it. Yeah, the most important thing is, uh, especially with the social media, is I can reach so many more people that I could if I was just doing one-on-one -on -one sessions. Uh, so writing the book was just getting, you know, another, you know, another form of education out there because again, I'm kind of in this bubble. It's like Instagram, 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 and then I realize not everyone's on Instagram. Uh, you know, they could be. And there are also different ways to learn, too. You know, some people might like videos. Some people might like uh, reading something from a book. Someone might like to listen to podcasts, right? Uh, so there's different ways to, you know, deliver the information. So for me, it was just another way to get uh, the information out to people that might not know who I am. Uh, and then I wrote the book, you know, again, it's to simplify things. You know, I kept the same uh, kind of the same mentality with my Instagram, with my book, I wanted to simplify 
making people feel better. And, you know, the majority of the book is mobility and stretching. But uh, like before uh, the podcast, before we sat down, I spoke about wanting to make sure that that's not the only thing people did. You know, if they're trying to feel better, they're trying to get more flexible. You know, there should be a component of strength training. You know, I'm not just a one trick pony. I'm not just the flexibility guy. Uh, you know, you have to mix in the strength training and maybe a little bit of the foam rolling if you want. That can definitely enhance some of the things that you do physically. Um, yeah, so if it's, you know, if, if anyone's gotten anything out of my Instagram, my social media, you know, I would love it if they picked up this book because I think it's only just going to help them even more uh, when it comes down to this stuff and almost help them understand a little bit better too. Uh, so I have little nuggets of, I think, uh, good information in there that will um, hopefully get them more motivated to concentrate on moving better yeah. so they can feel better. And why nine minutes? So nine minutes, one thing that I learned from people coming in here is they don't like to, to do their mobility work. I don't think anyone does. <laughs> no one does, right? <laughs> and I think, you know, you know and I know that it's very important. It can be a good part of just being healthy. Uh, so I want to make it very unintimidating so one of the big ways I like to do is a nice quick routine, you know, nine minutes. And that's just a baseline. I say, if you can do nine minutes a day, that's great. If you want to do more, that's even better. You know, again, depends on what your goals are. And what I do in the book is I lay out in a certain, I guess, almost like a certain template, how you can set up a routine um, that might be better for you and stick with it. So one of my big things is with a mobility program is to do the same routine for a week and then I'm sure you'll get sick of it and then you want to switch it up. But the reasoning behind that was to be consistent and that you saw results. Uh, I think it's like working out too. It's if you do too, too many exercises and too different of exercise, it's hard to gauge if you've improved or not. Uh, so it gave, you know, for me, I found that having the same routine uh, every day for a week, if you're doing a certain stretch, by the end of the week, it's probably going to look a little bit different and feel a little bit different than the beginning of the week. And I think that's going to help get people motivated to want to do more. And I always sneak in a little strengthening exercise at the end of the routine too, just to mix it in, uh, just to show how important it is to not only do your mobility work, but to strengthen. I think that's very, um, very underrated uh, when it comes to flexibility is like you got to be strong too to make sure that your flexibility gains stick yeah yeah i think that that's a that's a misunderstanding i've talked about this in the past with chiropractic i mean we spoke about before where you know if you go into a chiropractor and they just adjust you and you walk out then again common sense you don't need to see the studies if there were muscles that were had imbalance that were pulling on a joint it's going to go back to where it was or you're going to keep getting the pain right yeah, yeah but addressing the mobility and the strength i mean those to me are the two opposing factors that if you move those two levers simultaneously you're going to rapidly accelerate whatever you're looking for as far as lack of pain or increased mobility exactly and you know coming back to you know the professions you know i think a lot of people or a lot of the the higher level educators like the physical therapists and the chiropractors, the ones with higher level education or a lot of these evidence based, um, you know, practitioners, they see someone like a massage therapist who's doing more of a, a passive modality and stretching where, you know, we're not 
you know, concentrating on some of the other things. Um, you know, I want to make sure that they knew that it's, you know, uh, for me personally too, is that it's not just about the stre- stretching and the passive modalities. It's, it's marrying it together to make a, f- you know, of ideal body to make it be sustainable. Uh, so it's, it's very important because when I have clients come in here, I'll work on them in passive modalities, but I, I, I make sure they have homework to do. And I almost say, don't come back <laughs> unless you've been doing this homework because I don't know if you're getting better or not. If your goal is to come in here and just have a relaxation, you know, therapy session, you're a high level athlete and you just want it. Cool. Great. Uh, but when you come in here and this is how it changes from my sessions on a day to day basis is uh, I make sure I know who the client is and I listen to them. If they're not really into working out and they just have pain and issues, uh, I'll concentrate a little bit more on the educational aspect and make sure they're leaving with something that they can do on a day to day basis to uh, help them in the long term. So that might look uh, as if I had a professional athlete in here almost 100% soft tissue work because they're going to do the training. They have their med team with them already. But if I have someone who's the total, you know, polar opposite, it might be 30 to 50% manual therapy. And then the rest is moving and educating them on how they can feel better long term. So that's exactly uh, what we were talking about before is um, not just doing the adjustment or doing the little therapy sessions. It's um, making sure you're doing the right things to make sure they feel better longer yeah and i think a, a common denominator i've seen is all a lot of the best practitioners whether it's physical health or mental health the goal is for them not to be a patient anymore yeah exactly that's um that's tough because it's a business right so people <laughs> want to have that recurring income you want to make sure that they're had they're coming every single week but uh, i've been you know fortunate enough to um you know, not concentrate on the financial aspect as much. Um, you know, luckily with the social media, you know, I can make a little bit of income with my membership site as well. And um, it doesn't hurt me to be like, hey, come back and see me if you need to. If you do this homework and you feel great, you do not have to come back. That means you're fine for now. <laughs> um, and then, uh, but it's a tough balance. Yeah, it's definitely a tough balance in this um you know, this time because you want to make a living, mm-hmm. but you also want to help people. <laughs> so it's yeah. trying to find a, find a way to do that. Now, do um, you find though, because of that in the organic nature and the fact that you are, you know, being honest with these people and, and giving them a, a treatment plan that resu- you know ends with just coming from a maintenance uh, mm-hmm. standpoint, that that though in turn creates some um, uh, other, you know, those people then telling their friends who are needing to come to you. So that was my whole play at the beginning um, because I never really felt too comfortable having people come back like every single week uh, because I got that question today. I was actually doing um, a couple of videos with a, um, a new friend of mine um, and he was like, hey, I did a little sample session on him and he was like, oh, well, if I want this, uh, how many times a week do I have to come or how many times a month do I have to come? And I said, you know what, if you come in, uh, you know, we'll do we'll do a session, see how you feel and then just come in whenever you want. But it's true. If you really fix someone, you're going to get an amazing amount of referrals. And I'd rather be known as the guy who helped someone out, felt them more, uh, ha- helped them feel more confident about their body and 
fix them, quote unquote, fix them, and then them tell their friends about me because I'd rather be the person who's helping people figure out what their issues are, except uh, other than, oh, I just see Joe every single week yeah. and get my maintenance work, but I haven't really gotten that much better. Uh, you know, that's very, very important to me. Yeah. When I think that's that's the, the happy medium that you're talking about. Exactly, you get, exactly. You get to, you know, be true to the patient. And then instead of seeing them over and over again, you start seeing their friends. And the bonus of that is the more their friends that come, the more people in the world are getting better. 100%. And you're doing it in a, you know, a truthful way, too. It's uh, I feel better doing it that way than having people come in uh, every single week and say that they need it. Yeah. Well, I want to touch on something you mentioned before with the book. Um, with the content, I agree with you 100%. Like, I like to read a book when it's when it's a book. Obviously, the videos are great, but it is a different um, philosophy. But I think what you've also tapped into, and it's something that I've realized with the podcast, is that efficiency piece, too. So, you know, I had some people say, oh, you know, have you ever thought about doing talks? And I've been invited to do a couple this, this year, yeah. but um, I tell them, I'm like, well, firstly, you know, the, the guest is the expert. So, I love what I do I, I'm, I'm this perpetual student who knows enough I think about what we talk about to ask intelligent questions that I think mm -hmm. you want to hear um, so I don't really think I have that much value to stand up and talk anyway <laughs> but but regardless even if I did I can stand in front of a audience of firefighters and in reality in a big department you might get a hundred you know and you do your thing and then that's it great but with this with the podcast it's listened in Korea, it's listened everywhere, mm. all around the world, and it sits there in cyberspace. So three years after we record, people are still going to be accessing that. Sure. And it's the same with yours. Um, so is that is that something that you've kind of realized that even though I know you're going to go to LA later this year, this year is it? Yes. I'm not LA. Um, Portugal. That's what oh, I was Portugal. Oh, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you're so, traveling there, but that that's you know that's a trip worth it. You know, now you're going to get to go. But in the meantime, every Portuguese person can look at Instagram and take all your stuff. And I just love, I love this this efficiency. So when you travel, you really, really want to go now. Is that something that you've realized yourself that you can sit here in a studio and reach a global audience? It still blows my mind. Um, you know, I grew my Instagram account very quickly. Uh, and I know that. Uh, but it blows my mind how many people from different parts of the country or part of the world follow me uh so whenever i do these live uh you know instagram lives people will uh post hey cheers from this place or hey from this place i mean it's asia it's south america it's europe it's you know it's mind-blowing i have i never thought in a million years that i would reach this many people in different parts of the world even in the port you know the portugal trip uh you know, I was recommended by, you know, a friend from Europe that I met online. It's it's amazing tool not to only help people uh, and put out good information. Hopefully you're putting out good information to help people. Um, but from a pro professional standpoint, it's a great way to also network, too, uh, and meet people who have the same mindset. And, you know, I came to do the social media, uh, you know, to help start my massage therapy business but uh, in that process of putting this content out i've met some of my best friends now and some of my best uh, you know professional friends through social media um 
it's just an amazing tool. And I know there's a lot of people out there that might say it's bad and it's like killing the world. But I also want to see the, I, you know, I want to look at the positive side of things. It's helping a lot of people and connecting you with people you never would have ever. Yeah. Ever. Absolutely. I found there's a button that says block. It's yeah, a yeah, great yeah. way of making your social media super positive and <laughs> friendly because yeah. <laughs> my wall is very, very like, you know, woo now in a good way, mm-hmm. you know, and if I see, you know, something that's opinion is one thing. But, yeah, if it gets very toxic, then all right. Bye, Felicia. You know, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I think people need to uh, really push out those negative, you know, negative people, especially on social, because you can go down a rabbit hole. It's like you watch you see one person, then you see another person. Um, but you want to make sure that you're looking and watching the right people. So, I mean, I don't follow too many people. It's because I don't want to be bombarded with this negativity. Uh, you know, you have to be able to separate <laughs> the social from some other things because uh, a lot of people can't handle it. And I can see why people are getting depressed and, um, you know, all this, you know, the mental health issues. It's you know, I don't get it as bad as some people, but you know, whenever I get a negative message, it doesn't feel good. <laughs> it does no. not feel good. So I can't imagine if, uh, you know, you're like a, a fitness model or a female fitness model. I know they get it probably the worst is, you know, getting bombarded with all these negative messages. It's like, I get it. Yeah. So I, I get why there's so much, uh, mental health issues and depression in the world because it's tough. You don't want to, <laughs> it's like, you get all of that stuff now. You don't have to be face-to-face to say something to someone. You can be behind a screen. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I just toured a, a facility that my little boy goes to. I'm going to be interviewing them. But it's it, it, they have therapy there, but there's also uh, like counseling, like yeah. mental therapy. Um, but they're also a nonprofit that's the go-to between DCF taking a child from a family they deem dangerous to them going to the foster parents. Um, and so in, after this tour, I asked him, you know, I see a lot of anxiety in schools because of the school shootings and the code red training these poor kids have to do now. Crazy. I see, you know, what do you, what do you see? And they said that, yes, that's an element, but they said the same thing. It's the social media that's causing most of the anxiety, this need to be this perfect, you know, person like my little boy. And I'm sure this is innocent, but he follows some people on, on YouTube that, you know, their backyard, they have this entire nerf. <laughs> yeah, like of course playground, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. and pools and trampolines and i'm sure these kids are probably looking at that like how come we don't have that you know mm-hmm. how can i i you know i can't give away a thousand dollars to a homeless guy while i film myself you know because that's not real and then you you know like we've got our media trimmed where you know you see the the best people in your fields that inspire you and uh, you came mm-hmm. across me i think through that just through yeah. the, the metric on instagram like this is this is someone i need to talk to Whereas if it's all negative, you know, people, then that's going to creep as a cancer the opposite way and, and send you in a negative spiral, not a positive one. Yeah, I think one of the big reasons that we can handle it a little bit better, and I know some people who can't, <laughs> but, uh, you know, we grew up before uh, there was any type of social media. So, again, like, I feel old saying this. I was like, well, we used to play outside uh, when we were younger and, you know, we still watch TV, but there was no social media. Uh, so we know both sides, you know, sides of things. Um, and I do feel a little worried about, you know, the the generation coming up. And I've heard a lot of the people who actually develop these apps, they actually don't let their kids be on their phones while they're at home because they know the damage. It's like a uh, it's like a slot machine. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, 
again, that's one of the downsides of social media. Everyone's trying to get that instant gratification. They want the likes. It makes them feel better. Where, you know, I really tried to concentrate more on the content side of things and the education. And there was a byproduct uh, of having a lot of likes and a lot of followers. But my mentality was never to have millions of followers. You know, a thousand's a lot of people. Ten thousand's a lot of people. So, um Hopefully, hopefully we figure something out because everyone is trying to uh, one up each other and get more extreme just for the attention. Yes. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I see an element of that even with myself. I'll put something up and I don't really care. But you still find yourself looking at your phone. Oh, oh yeah. No, that, no, for, anyone looks at that? Yeah, you know, I talk that? about this too and I'm guilty of it. Uh, but I, then I can like stand back and be like, okay, well, it's not that big, yeah, you know, big of a deal where, yeah, some of these younger kids, it's all about the likes. It's going to tiktok now because you get so many more uh you know views on there um yeah but it's it's definitely a thing it definitely is uh, uh sneaking into the the older generation too yeah absolutely <laughs> all right well i'm gonna do some closing questions so we can let you get on to yeah. your appointment um we talked about your book is there a book that you love to recommend that someone else has written it can be about what we've discussed today or something completely different yeah, I was actually listening to some of the podcasts and uh, I was uh, slightly prepped for this. <laughs> so <laughs> well, good. A lot uh, of mine aren't. <laughs> um, and, you know, I don't read too, too many books. I'll listen to a lot of books now just because if I'm on a long road trip, uh, you know, I'll toss it up on, you know, on the app. And I think the last one I looked at or listened to was it was called Atomic Habits. I'm a, I'm a big sucker for these productivity uh, books and it's probably because I'm not as organized as a lot of people think I am. Uh, I get it, I get the stuff done, but it's definitely not in a very uh, organized fashion. So anything where I can uh, find some you know tips and habits on how to increase that productivity is great. And I found this book, Atomic Habits. Again, it just had really great reviews online, and uh, I really liked a portion of it. And it was talking about making so those small wins that lead up to that big win. And I think the example they used, it was a while ago when I listened to it. Uh, it was like getting to the gym, you know, getting to the gym is one of the hardest things for most people to do is getting into a workout routine. And they said, even doing one of the smallest things can lead you to that point. And one was putting your gym shoes on. Uh, it's like, once you put your shoes on, you're probably more likely to go to the gym now. And for me, it's taking... And I was trying to apply it to, I was like, what makes me want to go to the gym? If I do this, it's usually like 99% I'm going to the gym unless something happens. It's uh, when I was younger, I would always take pre-workout before I went to the gym. Uh, and I think mentally I was like, I don't want to waste this energy. <laughs> it's like, I'm all jacked up <laughs> I'm going to kill someone when I'm working. <laughs> exactly. So I, I have a more natural uh, pre-workout now. So it's not as crazy as the old formulas. Um, but now when I take this more natural pre-workout, um, and not coffee. Coffee doesn't do it for me. It has to be the supplement. Uh, and I drink it. I'm going to the gym no matter what, unless there's an emergency. It just totally preps me. It's so first step. Exactly. It's that first step. And then I know I'm going to the gym. So I've been doing that a lot more recently. You know, I took a little bit of a down, you know, downtime off of the gym, but getting back into it and starting was really difficult. You know, I get caught up in work or then I get pushed to the side and uh, but I started to do this supplement thing again, and every single time. It could be 5 a.m. and I do it, I'm going to the gym. Mm -hmm. It could be 8 p.m., go to the gym. Uh, so I really like that book. It was just little small little tips on how to, you know, how to be a little bit more productive and create habits. 
Brilliant. That's funny you say that. Actually, I, I saw you got a gym right downstairs, haven't you? There's yeah, yeah, yeah. lads pulling sleds around. Yeah. Um, but I tell that when I, I coach at the CrossFit gym sometimes and I tell my athletes, I'm like, you just have to get through that door. Exactly. That's it. In a CrossFit space specifically, because you go to, you know, the term Globo gym, but, you know, regular box gym, as you were saying. Um, and yeah, you can walk through a door, but there's also the cafe there. Okay. juice bar you know and, and you know it's easier to kind of get distracted but what i like about crossfit or those style gyms where you're walking into some sort of organization is then if you can make it through a door you're swept away then yeah you, the you, community part is yeah. huge you yeah. go there it's like you can't quit now no exactly yeah. well, you're gonna halfway oh I'm, i think i left the oven on <laughs> and that's why i do love these uh you know cr- you know something you know crossfit gets sometimes a bad um, bad reputation uh but you know, I used to do it for a little bit and the community is great and you get pushed hard. I mean, I remember being on that damn assault bike about to die, but then they're like, you know, rooting me on and yelling in my face, like, let's do it. And unbelievable how, you know, probably how big of results you're going to get just being in, uh, you know, a facility like that with mm. a community. Absolutely. And then from a movement point of view, if you've got good coaches, you got people that actually say, hey, you know, just take some weight off there you know you're not moving quite right and you know, i don't think you're ready for overhead squats yet um so in a good crossfit gym i think it's the bad coaching that created so many youtube videos it was but, so early on too i mean yeah. i hurt myself doing crossfit for the first time back in like 2011 i mean but you know things have evolved so much now that uh, every gym i go to or most gyms they're very adequate at what they're teaching, and a lot of them are great. Yeah. yeah. I think Orlando, I know they had Firebase, which is one of the first ones. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've here, heard of so. that one. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. All right. So then the next question, is there a movie that you love? <sighs> See, I watched a lot of movies last year, and I actually really couldn't think of this one. I remember, like, I saw, I was listening to your podcast, and I was like, oh, what movie have I even watched in the past recent you know, memory? Um, probably the ones I enjoy the most right now. It was John Wick. Uh, so I never watched one John Wick uh, movie until last year. And then I ended up watching, it was right before the third one came out. And I watched the first one. Then the next day I watched the second one. And then like the third one came out, and I watched it sometime that week. And uh, I really enjoyed it. it just, just from a pure enjoyment standpoint, I thought it was great. Uh, it was very badass too. I love those that badass mentality of these uh, kind of like superheroes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was really good, yeah. Now, which was your favorite one of the three? Ooh, now it's like blurring now because now all I remember is the last one. Um, so I'll just say the third one just because uh, I can't remember exactly about the first two now. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. All right, so the same kind of question, but is there a documentary you love? And again, I was like looking back at this when I was scrolling through my Netflix uh, <laughs> uh, before you came in. And the last... Uh, documentary that I saw and I've seen it multiple times it's SOM uh, the S-O-M-M it's the wine uh, wine documentary and you know I'm not really a big wine enthusiast like for me for a dollar bottle of wine from Trader Joe's I can't distinguish that from a $50 $60 bottle of wine from somewhere else Uh, but this documentary came probably out like maybe five years ago six years ago and it follows these uh, these uh, sommeliers uh, trying to get their master sommelier certification. And it's one of the most demanding uh, uh, courses or levels to get to as a wine expert. And 
the thing that blew my mind was they would have three red wines and three white wines, and this was at the final exam, and they had to taste test it. They would have to describe what they smell and the notes, and uh, but then they have to finish by saying what region it's from, what year it's from, and then like who's the producer. And these people would get it spot on. They'd be like, oh, it's Rhone Valley, blah, 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 1996. And I'm just like, what? How? I was like, how do you know that? Um, and watching them on how hard they studied and practiced to become a master was really inspiring. It's like, wow, these guys are great. And they all hung out with each other, too, was the other cool thing, because I'm really big into hanging out with like-minded individuals. Once I started to hang out with a lot of the people I admired and had the same mindset, everything changed. Everything changed. And I moved here from uh, the Northeast in New England. And I don't have as many friends. All my best friends are back up there. But it was kind of nice because it was less distracting because I think, you know, I love my friends, but, you know, they don't have uh, they have like normal jobs, you know, normal jobs <laughs> where I'm trying to be an entrepreneur and do all this, you know, this other stuff. So it was good to be surrounded by people who had uh, the same like struggles and mentality that I had. So I love that movie. It was really cool. And then really gets you into wine after. And you might not even be into wine, <laughs> but it's one of those movies you watch and then you go and drink a bottle of wine after or a glass and you think you're a genius. And then you realize you're not really. Yeah, this barefoot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's a half gallon bottle of wine for six bucks. <laughs> no, that, that's uh, that's interesting, and it reminds me of you know the phrase you hear a lot, and it's so true. You're a sum total of the five people closest to yeah. you. Yeah. You know, so choose your circle wisely. Like I see that all the time on social, and you know that advice, and it's it's so true. It is so true, and then. And then also when everyone is like-minded, hopefully everyone just becomes successful together. Yeah, that's you know, the right circle. You want to help each other up. Not It's not a competition. Exactly. And I think a lot of the times when you start doing things, a lot of people will have a lot of negative things to, to tell, tell you. And I endure that a lot. It's like, oh, I'm going to post on social media now. That's my like career to help uh, people. And it's like, what the hell are you doing? Just get a real job. Like, what are you doing? So being around people who you know, do a lot of podcasts and like know the struggles you go with or being on social media and going through the issues you're going with helped a lot. And we've all grown uh, exponentially and become, you know, somewhat successful in at least what we want to do. Yeah, I think it's brilliant. It's just it's recalibrating and redefining, you know, what, what is a job, mm. you know, and you know, let's say, for example, you purely just saw patients. It's kind of where, where I transitioned, where I was running one call at a time on a, on a rescue or an engine. It's you're making a difference. But after you've done that for X amount of time, well, what if I could be a force multiplier and still, you know, hands on help the people who walk through the door. But then as you've done, put on videos and help hundreds of thousands of people at the same time that aren't anywhere near me. And I think it's it's. It's very exciting to see, like you said, with the internet being used in an entrepreneurial way, how you can remove some of the inefficiencies of the way we've always done it yeah, yeah. and make it so much more streamlined and so much more accessible. Yeah, and yeah, I kind of wish I, I a little bit grew up in this uh, time because you know this is, they know this. They know there's that there's this opportunity online where they can make a big difference where uh, it was tough to change the mindset because growing up before it's go to high school, go to college, get a job, 
get married. That's it. <laughs> you know, it was very, you know, it was pieced together. Uh, but now it's, it's all about being creative and you can do almost anything you want. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So the next question, is there a person that you'd recommend to come on the podcast as a guest to speak to the audience? Yeah. And we were talking about this a little bit before. So I share this office with, um, again, one of these like-minded individuals. We met via social media, uh, two and a half years ago. And, uh, back then you would see people pop up on your explore page a lot and you click it like, who's this guy? Uh, and then I realized he was, uh, just up in North Orlando, uh, Lake Mary, probably closer to you actually, but they, uh, they just moved to the land and, you know, he's changed a lot of, uh, my mindset on how to make people, you know, function better. Uh, so he would be great. He's a chiropractor, but concentrates a little bit more on uh, the exercise, you know, part of, uh, the profession and progressing and regressing motions to get people to where they need to be. Um, so he would definitely be one great guy. I've taught a, uh, a seminar with him. He does a seminar as well. And uh, he's brought me along one time. Uh, and then I have one more too. this guy named Jordan Syatt. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Gary Vaynerchuk, Gary V. Yes. Uh, most people are. Uh, he's one of his trainers that he's worked with. Uh, and again, a good friend of mine, and he's a very like no bullshit guy. And he deals a little bit more with the personal training side of things and the nutrition. Um, but I love the way he just tells it the way it is. And he doesn't try to be someone else. He swears and, you know, that's just the way he is. But uh, he gives really good information. And in a time where there's so much crap information, these two put out just amazing straightforward straight to the point practical information that will help so many people brilliant and then your your colleague here his name uh, uh jacob uh his name is dr jacob Harden. he's got the doctor in front of his name <laughs> <laughs> Harding, brilliant yeah i would love to connect with both of those if we'll try and make that happen all right so then um the last thing before we talk about where we can find you obviously you know you are helping people get in a better space with your hands what do you do to decompress Ooh. I don't know. I just, I like to eat and I like to watch TV to de decompress because, um, you know, everything's so go, go, go. And, um, you know, I'm doing a lot of video editing and I, so a lot of people don't realize I don't have a team at the moment and I do everything. So, um, the days get long and, uh, they become repetitive. So sometimes I just like to relax, almost not talk to anyone and, get some takeout, watch a movie or something, watch some YouTube. I guess I'm like not totally decompressing because I'm still <laughs> doing, doing the same thing. It, yeah, but something, uh, I'll just watch something I enjoy. And it's probably something I've watched before because it's um, it's relaxing to me. Uh, and I got my first massage in a long time a couple days ago. Uh, you know, Maybe I'll start getting back into getting more of my own self-therapy to, to help me decompress and relax. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's funny because it's the same thing with the podcast. It's a labor of love, absolutely. But there is a certain tedium to you know to what you're doing, to what I'm doing, as far as the technical side. But you know, obviously, you want it to look good. You want it to be a, a quality, you know, end product that people actually will want to click on and 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 learn from. But I, that's the thing; people don't see. They see the, the end the product. Yeah. yeah, they don't <laughs> see the the hours that went into putting that. You know. 10 minute clip up and i was just doing a youtube collaboration right before this and it's a usually a 10 minute video and we were here filming for two hours 
And people don't see that. They see that final product and uh, they don't see the hard work that goes into it. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So everyone listening, firstly, where can they find the book? Yeah, so you can find the book on uh, betterstretching.com. I put a whole bunch of links there and you can find it uh, all your major retailers, your Amazons, your Barnes and Nobles. Uh, so you can find the book at betterstretching.com. And then also you can find more information about me. Uh, my home, my first home is Instagram. So you can find me at, at Joe Therapy. And that's uh, most of my social media ch- ch- channels. Um, and uh, also my website, joetherapy.com. Brilliant. All right. Well, Joe, I want to say thank you. It's been a great conversation. Like I said, you've got a beautiful space here. But um, I know the people listening are going to get a lot out of it. And um, I'm looking forward to seeing how the book does. I appreciate it. This is an amazing conversation. I loved it, every part of it. 